This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. X-1 is an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series that broadcasts from April of 1955 to January of 1958 in various time slots in NBC. It was known for high production values in adapting stories from the leading American authors of that era, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Robert A. Heinlein, to mention a few. The program opens with announcer Fred Collins delivering the countdown leading into the introduction. And tonight's episode is entitled, Knock. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, X minus one, fire! From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand would-be worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X minus one. Tonight, the science fiction classic Knock by Frederick Brown. Tonight we have a strange story to tell. A sweet, blood-curdling little story that is really only two sentences long. The last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock at the door. What's that? Good morning, man. What? Who are you? You have regained consciousness. Who are you? I am Zan. I'm still asleep, I must be. You are not asleep. Maybe if I close my eyes, it'll go away. I will not go away, man. Oh. I guess I'm awake. Who... What are you? I am a Zan. What's that? A Zan is intelligent life. Look, I don't... What happened? Where are you from? From planet seven in the third galaxy in the fourth quadrant. Where? It is not necessary to repeat information which is correct in the original statement. Planet seven? But... You mean I'm not on Earth? You are still on your planet. What are you doing here? The Zans have annexed your world. You mean you've conquered Earth? Yes, that is correct. We will now prepare your planet for habitation by the Zan. How about the people? What about the population of the world? 
You are the population of the world. Hmm? Now, wait a minute. I, I can't... I don't understand what's happened. The Zan have landed on your planet. We have removed the lower life forms to prepare for colonization by the Zan. When did all this happen? Two days ago. You have been unconscious until now. You really mean I'm the last man on Earth? That is correct. Identify yourself now. What? Kindly provide data as to your position in the elementary social order of your planet. Oh. I'm, uh, Walter Phelan, Associate Professor of Anthropology at Nathan University. How do you speak English? We have deciphered your written and recorded records. It is not difficult to reconstruct your language. It is a primary type of auditory communication. Oh. Is there anything you want to complete your natural habitat? You mean I'm a prisoner? That is correct. What will you want further in your room? Do I have to stay here? Yes. The rest of my life? Forever. You better bring me my books. Uh, that will be done. That's rather considerate of you. You know, I've got to call you something. Do you mind if I call you George? It is immaterial. I will be back, Associate Professor of Anthropology. Oh, that's all right, George. Just uh, call me Walter. Very well, Walter. I will be back with your books. All right, George. I'll be seeing you around. You will not be around, Walter. You will be here. George. Hello, Walter. Uh, wait a minute, you're not George. You're different somehow. It makes no difference. The sun are many, and they are one. Then I'll call you George, too. I'll call you all George. Uh, what can I do for you? Point one. You will please henceforth sit with your chair facing the other way. Uh-huh, I thought so, George. That plain wall is different from on the other side, isn't it? That is correct. It is transparent. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm in a zoo, right? That is correct. How many other animals do you have in the zoo, George? 216. <laughs> Not complete, George. Even a bush league zoo could beat that. Did you just uh, pick at random? Yes. All species would have been too many. Male and female, each of 108 kinds. Male and female, huh? Of uh, all the animals? There is a female of your species among the collection. Mm, anyone I know? Uh, well, never mind. It doesn't matter anyway. Well, uh, what do you feed us all, eh? For carnivorous species, we make synthetics. The flora was not hurt by the vibrations which destroyed animal life. Oh, nice for the flora. Well, George, you started out with point one. I deduce there is a point two kicking around somewhere. What is it? Something we do not understand. Oh? Two of the other animals sleep and do not wake. They are cold. Don't worry, George. It happens in the best regulated zoos. What is wrong with them, Walter? Nothing much. They're just dead. Mm -hmm. That means stopped. But nothing stopped them. Each was alone. Well, maybe they just died of old age. Old age? I do not understand. You don't? How old are you, George? Your planet went around the sun about 7,000 times since I was born. 7,000 years? Yes, I am still young. Yeah, a babe in arms. Look, George, you've got something to learn about this planet you've hijacked. Here on Earth, we've got somebody you don't know where you come from. An old man with a beard and an hourglass and a scythe. Your vibrations didn't kill him. What is he? Oh, old man death. Down here, our people and animals live until somebody, the Grim Reaper, stops them. 
He will stop more. He gets us all, George. With your lifespan, it won't seem like a minute and we'll all be gone. <laughs> Looks like you made a mistake, George. And I don't think there's much you can do about it. That is not correct. The Zan is a logical being. We will take action. Oh, George, uh, where are you taking me? We will be there shortly. We will bring your books and your chair. You mean my lease is up? Uh, I do not understand. It's moving day? That is correct. We are here now. You will live here now, Walter. It is a larger room. Well, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Go inside. Oh, be careful with those books, George. Don't lose my... Oh, uh, excuse me. Who are you? What are you doing here? I guess George didn't explain. Uh, George uh, tries to be polite, but he hasn't quite caught on yet. I'm Walter Phelan. My name is Grace Evans, Mr. Phelan. What's all this about? Why did they bring me here? I think I know why, but uh, let's go back a bit. Do you know just what has happened otherwise? No, not exactly. Well, I've been talking to George. George? Well, that's what I call them, all of them. There's no way to tell them apart anyway. There aren't many of them here yet. They come from outside the solar system, sort of an advanced scouting party. I saw their spaceship. It's as big as a mountain. Yeah, they're moving in on us. They cleaned off the Earth with some kind of vibration. It destroys all sorts of animal life. I don't know whether they did it all at once or if they had to circle the Earth a few times, but they killed everybody. No. I was afraid that... The cheerful note is that you and I and uh, 200-odd other animals were picked up beforehand as specimens for the zoo. You do know this is a zoo, don't you? I suspected it. But I don't remember anything about being captured. I just woke up here. My hunch is they used the vibrations just low enough to knock us all out. Then they cruised around, picking up samples at random. When they were all set, they... Turn the juice on full blast. How terrible. Yeah, well, they solved a lot of problems for us. Housing shortage, wars, even the atomic bomb. I don't suppose the human race, you and I, have to worry about anything now. It's awful. Only they made a mistake. They underestimated us. I don't understand. (laughs) They thought we were immortal. That we were what? Immortal, like they are. Oh, they can be killed, but... The Zans don't know what natural death is. They didn't know anyway until they lost two of us yesterday. You mean there are more than two of us? Oh, not more of our species, no. These were merely fellow animals, a rabbit and a canary. And by the Zans' way of figuring time, the rest of us are only good for a few minutes apiece. It's a joke on them. They figured they had permanent specimens here in the zoo. Didn't they even know we'd all die eventually? I don't think so. Uh, George... That is, the the second Zan I saw told me he was 7,000 years old, and he's young by their standards. When they learned how quickly we die, they they were practically shocked to the core, if they have cores. How can you talk that way about it? Academic detachment. I learned it at faculty tees. At any rate, they've decided to reorganize their zoo, two by two. Are they going to keep us locked up together in this one little room? I'm afraid so. Plenty of furniture, though, and George promised to bring me my chair... We've got to do something. Why? Well, I don't know. It just just seems to me we owe it to the human race to do something. Well, uh, perhaps you have a suggestion? There must be some way. They can be killed, you said. Oh, yes, sir. I've been studying them. They look horribly different. But I think they have about the same metabolic and digestive system as we. 
I think that anything that would kill one of us would kill one of them. But you said 7,000 years. Yeah, I, I, I think I figured it out. Now, George cut his, uh, I suppose you'd call it his hand, when he brought in my books. Started to bleed. Red blood. But I could see the cut closing as he stood there. By the time he left, it was healed. I don't understand. Well, you see, whatever factor there is in man that makes him grow old is missing in the Zan. Their regenerative powers must be unlimited. They just don't wear out. They go on and on until they're stopped. Suppose we killed one. There must be some way. What would be the use? They wouldn't even punish us. They'd just give us our food through a trap door and put up a sign saying, Beware of the man. Dangerous. I don't think they'll even have to bother in your case. (laughs) I don't see anything funny. I'm sorry. It just reminds me of Martha. Martha? My wife. She died two years ago. I'm I'm sorry. Not at all. It was a pleasure. Uh, that'll be George with my books. Come in. Hello, George. Hello, Walter. Point one, I have brought your books. Mm-hmm, point one, eh? Uh, what else is on your mind? Another creature sleeps and will not wake. Oh? A small feathered one called a duck. Well, it happens, George. I warned you. Old man death, the grim reaper. I told you about him. Walter, the Council of Zan has met. It has been decided logically that, A, no life form can withstand the full strength vibrations with which we cleared your planet. Therefore, the Grim Reaper you spoke of does not exist. Pretty neat, George. What's B? B, the only intelligent life to escape the vibrations is you. Therefore, the logical conclusion is you are stopping these animals by some means unknown to us. George, you are off your trolley. You will tell me now how this is done. You've got me. Yes, we have. It is necessary to save the remaining specimens as long as possible. If we do not get the information, we may be forced to dispense with your species entirely. This means you, Walter, and the female. Now, hold on, George. Don't go off half-cocked. Let me take a look at these animals that won't wake up. I will take you there now. Go first, Walter. After you, my dear George. Now, you should have got him in the winter, George. The fur's worth more than its ermine. This is the reptile cage. Mm-hmm. Here are the ducks. That is the male. The female has been stopped. Yeah, lucky girl. What's the matter, fellow? Lonely? Hmm? Walter, you will tell me how you stopped the female duck. Well, you got me, George. I didn't do it. Maybe she died of the Dutch elm blight. Walter, you are not being logical. We have concluded you are stopping these animals. Tell us now how it is done. I've told you, George, I haven't the foggiest notion. Very well, we will have to take further action. Oh, what are you going to do, George? We will go back now to your room. What happened, Mr. Phelan? Uh, You might call me Walter. After all, George does. And we have more in common. Please, what happened? Well, just a duck, a dead duck. George thinks I killed her by remote control. He wants me to tell him how. Did you? Look, I'm just an ordinary anthropologist. There's no telling what those animals died of. Just natural causes. But George can't see it that way. He thinks I'm holding out on him. Good. Hmm? What? At least we can get back at them some way. At least we can do something to them. Why, after all, George isn't a bad fellow. If you like an ant mentality. How can you say that? They murdered the whole and the human race. I suppose so, but uh, we can't change that now, so why think about it? We just can't sit here and do nothing. I fail to see how we can do anything else. At least we could be fighting. I can't see the virtue in that. I was more or less content with my books, and we've got George to talk to. Of all the men in the world they had to pick, 
Don't you want to fight back? Don't you want to keep on fighting to the end? It hadn't occurred to me. But we've got to, Walter. Why? I can't really explain it, but, Walter, if there was any good in man, it was that he kept on struggling against nature and, in the end, even against himself. He kept on fighting for what he thought was right, and we're all that's left. Walter, we, we just can't end by giving up. We've got to keep on fighting. You know, you do remind me of Martha. There isn't much left for us. We could beat them in this one small thing. We can pretend there's a secret about death. We could refuse to tell them anything. Well, there isn't anything to tell. But they don't know that. Promise me you won't give in. Well, I suppose the worst they can do is kill us. All right, Miss Evans. Hello, George. Hello, Walter. Now you will tell us how these animals are stopped. George, this may come as a shock to you, but I've decided not to tell you. Why? Oh, a romantic attachment to lost causes. My grandfather was a Confederate officer. Walter, you are not being logical. Neither was my grandfather. He charged a Yankee battery with one round of ammunition and a corncob pipe. You are not logical, but that is expected in lower life forms. You will come with me now, Walter. Where are you taking him? To the second level. Go now, Walter. You won't tell them. I can't guarantee anything, but as of now, I don't intend to. We've got to fight, Walter. Remember that. We've got to go out fighting. Yes. Yes, I think you're right. Go now, Walter. Goodbye. It's uh, been a pleasure, Miss Evans. I am waiting. Go now, Walter. After you, my dear George. You will tell us now, Walter. That was the first level of vibration. There are many more. However, we have calculated that none of them exceed your threshold of unconsciousness. Oh, very clever, George. Of course. You will tell us now, how do you stop these animals? You will tell us now. As of now, no. However, I'm not very brave if that encourages you, George. You are not being logical, Walter. You're telling me. We will now use vibration level two. <laughs> Let me alone, George. You will tell us now. You will tell us now how you stop the animals. Let me alone. Let me alone. We have had vibration levels one and two. There are still 15 more before your threshold of unconsciousness. No, no, no. Let me alone. Walter, listen to me. Another creature sleeps and will not wake. We must know now. It's tough. You better start vibrating again, George. No. What? It would not be logical. We have calculated that no further level of vibration will overcome your irrational psychological block. We conclude you will not tell. Let me go. That is correct. That's uh, real nice of you, George. I appreciate it. We have calculated that the resistance of the female of your species will be lower. We will now place her under the vibrations. No, no, George, George you can't do that. No, listen, George. George, there is no secret. Can you understand that? There is no secret. Those animals died from natural causes. I'm telling you the truth. That is not a logical answer. We will get the woman. I've told you the truth. Can't you understand? We must know now. The female animal cage next to the duck has been stopped. We must preserve the survivor. Uh, the animal... Animal next to the duck? We will bring the woman here. She will tell us after the vibration. No, no, no. no. Listen, George. You want the truth? You want to know how to save the mates of the animals that have been stopped? 
You will tell us now? Yes, yes, I'll tell you now. I, I give up. But you've got to promise to leave the woman alone. You promise, George? If we receive the answer from you, Walter, there will be no further need for the vibrations. Well, I guess that'll have to do. All right. All right. Take me to that stopped animal. I'll tell you how to save the mate. Very well, Walter. You are being logical now. We will go. Walter, are you all right? Just let me catch my breath a minute. What did they do? What happened? After a while, I told them what they wanted to know. Oh, no. As uh, George pointed out, it seemed to be the logical thing at the time. But you promised. I know. It was our last chance to beat them on even one little thing. Perhaps. You mind if I sit down? You gave up. I suppose you could call it that. I'm very tired. They've beaten us completely then. There isn't even anything we can do. The last of the human race and we give up. We don't even die fighting. It isn't that bad. Uh, Something might turn up. What did you call me? Uh, uh, No, I, I must have said Martha. Sorry, she was my wife. She died two years ago. What were you saying? Nothing, nothing. It doesn't matter. It's too late. It's too late for the whole human race. What now, George? The Council of the Sun has met. Oh, something wrong, George? The Sun has been stopped. What? Zan is dead? That is correct. Well, you didn't believe me, George. But you can die. You can really die. You'll have to get used to that if you're going to stay here. The Council has decided. A, you have in some way stopped this Zan. B, you and the woman must be eliminated. Walter. No, no, you've got it wrong, George. The council has decided this time you will have the full vibration. This time? Walter, what did they do to you? Oh, they uh, they have a rather effective third degree. They tortured you, Walter? Yes. And I... I thought... Oh, Walter, it was all my fault. I wouldn't even have tried without you. I suppose we have a last chance now to, to end with some dignity. I think you're a very brave man, Walter. No, not very. There isn't much else to do. Do we go now, George? Now, Walter. Wait. What's that? I have been told another Zan has died. Uh, now, now will you believe me? The Council of the Zan meets now. Two gone already, and you were with me, George. You know I didn't kill this one. What stopped him then? I told you, it's old man death. You came to the wrong planet, George. Your immortality doesn't go down here. He can stop you, but you can't stop him. And you'll all die if you stick around. What now? The council has decided. This is a place of death. We will leave your planet. Leave? You mean you're giving up? It is not safe for the Zan. Walter, they're leaving. They're really going. Come on then, George. And uh, don't hurry back. It would not be logical to do so. We are leaving the Earth now. Goodbye, Walter. Goodbye, George. Well, they're all aboard now. So wonderful to feel the sun and the wind again. Yeah, they've closed the hatches. Walter, is it safe for us to be out here? Yes, they're not interested in us any longer. They only want to get away. And I want to see this, Grace. The Zan leaving Earth forever. They're blasting off. 
there they go. Yes, it's all over now. Well, I suppose we might as well go back in. I, I still don't understand. Walter, what made them go? <laughs> well, I just, uh, I just told them the facts of life. Of death, you mean? No, no, of life. After all, I thought George was old enough to know. At 7,000 years, he was going to be a pretty big boy. I wish you'd stop joking and tell me what happened. Look out for the step. Well, uh, you remember when the first animals died? The rabbit and the duck? Yeah, and their mates just started to pine and waste away? Yes. Well, that worried the Zan. They wanted to keep the last specimens alive if they could. So, finally, I broke down and told them about affection. Affection? Yes. And then I introduced Donald. Donald? Who's that? Here we are. Grace, meet Donald. Oh, Walter, please. What does affection have to do with it? That's what the Zan wanted to know. I told him it was love that made the world go round. But having lost his mate, Donald would die immediately unless he had affection and constant petting. Petting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I even showed him how. Here, fella, come on. Come here. I held Donald in my arms, and I petted him a while. Then I let the Zan take over with the animal in the next cage. What animal? Take a look. You mean this cage? Mm -hmm. Watch out. Don't go too close. Walter, it's a rattlesnake. Yeah, yes. Their metabolism made it impossible for them to die of old age, but I had a hunch that they could be poisoned. Well, then it was the snake that killed the two Zan. Mm -hmm. They never even knew what bit them. Then you outwitted them, Walter. Well, I, I suppose... I thought you'd just given up. Oh, Walter, I'm so ashamed. You don't have to be. I had given up. I probably wouldn't have fought if you hadn't pushed me. Well, I... Well, we've got a world to plan. A new world, Grace. I know. We'll have to decide which animals to let out of the zoo and which ones it'd be safer to keep in. But first, there's a bigger problem. What's that? The human race. Oh. We've got to make a decision about that. Pretty important one. Y yes, It's but... been a nice race, even if nobody won it. Of course, it may go backward for a while until it gets its breath, but we can save the books and all the most important things and get it started ahead once more. No. It's the Garden of Eden all over again. Uh, but Eve, you'll have to watch out for that snake. Now, don't. Don't be ridiculous, Walter. You know, funny, you even blush like Martha. Only uh, you're stronger than she was. Prettier, too. I, I, I wish you'd forget about Martha. I think I will, my dear. If you'll give me time. Now, Walter Peelin, you listen to me. If you think for one minute that I... That I we thought could... it would never happen to me again. But it is love that makes the world go round. So, Grace, if you could only... No. I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. But that's exactly what I am. I don't care. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm going out. All right, my dear, but think it over. And please come back. You see, I told you, it wasn't really so horrible, our story. Remember how it goes? The last man on earth sat alone in a room. And then there was a knock on the door. Come in. Come in, Grace, my dear. 
You see, it wasn't horrible at all. In just a moment, a word about next week's adventure. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Knock by Frederick Brown, adapted for radio by Ernest Kinoy. Featured in the cast were Alex Scorby as Walter, Laurie March as Grace, and Louis Van Ruten as the Zan. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is an NBC Radio Network production. Now, next week. A strange and chilling story from the Bureau of Missing Persons. The story of what occurred when they accidentally intercepted a shortwave message. A cry for help from a missing atomic scientist who told them the fantastic story that he was now the man in the moon. How did it happen? You'll hear next week at X minus one. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden to star in Our Miss Brooks. Arden played the fun-loving but sometimes frazzled English teacher at Madison High School, probably the most famous teacher ever on radio. Connie Brooks was a wonderful combination of sincere and smart, and Eve Arden played her perfectly. From the very beginning of the radio run in 1948, Our Miss Brooks became a favorite of women, high school kids, parents across the nation, our Miss Brooks was a hit on radio from the very outset. Within eight months of its launch in a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications at the time. She actually had been the third choice to play the title role. Harry Ackerman, at the time CBS's West Coast Director of Programming, wanted Shirley Booth for the part, but he told historian Gerald Nackham years later that he realized Booth was too focused on the underpaid downside of public school teaching at the time to have fun with the role. Lucille Ball was believed to have been the next choice, but she was committed to My Favorite Husband and didn't audition. Then CBS chairman Bill Paley, who was friendly with Arden, persuaded her to audition for the part. And with a slightly rewritten audition script, Osgood Conklin, for example, was originally written as a school board president, but now... He was written in as the new Madison principal. Arden agreed to give the newly revamped show a try. Produced by Larry Burns and written by director Al Lewis, Our Miss Brooks premiered on CBS July the 19th of 1948. And according to radio critic John Crosby, her lines were very feline in dialogue scenes with Principal Conklin and would-be boyfriend Boynton with sharp, witty comebacks. The interplay between the cast, blustery Conklin, nebbishly Denton, accommodating Harriet, absent-minded Mrs. Davis, clueless Boynton, and scheming Miss Enright, 
also received positive reviews. Jeff Chandler played Boynton and stayed with the role for five years, even after becoming a movie star. He ultimately resigned because it was too exhausting to juggle a regular radio role with his film commitments. Others in the cast include Anne Whitfield as Conklin's daughter, Harriet. For the entire radio life, the show was sponsored by Colgate Palmolive of Pete, promoting Palmolive of Soap, Luster Cream Shampoo, and Tony Haircut products. And now, the story of the rare orchid. Colgate Dental Cream, to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair, bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, this is National Pickle Week. And among others who celebrated the occasion was Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. I celebrated National Pickle Week, all right, by getting myself into the prettiest pickle you've ever seen. It all started innocently enough when my landlady and I sat down to breakfast last Thursday morning. There's your cereal, Connie. Now tell me, dear, have you made any plans for your vacation next month? Nothing definite, Mrs. Davis. Perhaps it's just as well not to plan too far in advance. Who knows what summer may bring? You might even elope. Have you ever thought of that, Connie? Many times, Mrs. Davis. I'd do it in a minute, too. If it weren't for a stubborn little streak in me, which keeps insisting that it's no fun to elope by yourself. (laughs) Oh, I, I didn't mean by yourself, Connie. What's wrong with Mr. Boynton? For submitting the outstanding question of the week, we are sending Mrs. Margaret Davis a lifetime supply of Dutch boy paint. (laughs) I wish I knew what was wrong with Mr. Boynton. All he talks about lately is his impending vacation in South America. South America? What a wonderful idea. And it simplifies everything. It does? Of course. If Mr. Boynton is going to South America, that's where you have to go. The thought has occurred to me, Mrs. Davis, but there's one thing that stands in the way. Transportation. Transportation? Yes, one of my water wings has a blowout. (laughs) Don't be discouraged by your present financial state, Connie. I'll go make some tea and read your tea leaves in a little while. Maybe there'll be some good news in your cup. Why, at this very moment, Lady Luck may be camping on your doorstep. Well, don't sit there, lady. Come on in. (laughs) most gracious and scintillating educator. Thank you, most generous and observant pupil. Sit down, Walter, and have some toast and jelly. Oh, thanks. What kind of a plant is that you're holding? It's a rare black orchid, Miss Brooks. Here. An orchid? Must have cost you quite a bit of money, Walter. Pish, tush. The blossom cost me nothing. Besides, this is no time to concern ourselves with petty monetary considerations. I'm going to be rich, Miss Brooks. Wealthy beyond all dreams of avarice. The fabulous treasures of the universe are within my grasp. Hey, buddy, could you spare a round-trip ticket to South America? (laughs) No, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. I've discovered uranium. Uranium? Where? On my shoe. (laughs) Who's your boot black? (laughs) It's no joke, Miss Brooks. I made the discovery in the chem lab. We got a brand new Geiger counter, and it's... By the way, have you ever used a Geiger counter? I haven't had to, Walter. Very few of my pupils are named Geiger. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm afraid 
understand. A Geiger counter is an instrument that measures the number and intensity of emanations from radioactive substances. Sounds terribly talented. But how did you get mixed up with it? Well, I climbed on a desk to fix a light bulb, and my shoe got near the Geiger counter. You should have heard it. It almost blew its top. That means uranium's on my shoe. Now, the way I figure it, all I've got to do is retrace my steps of the past few days. Wouldn't it be easier to just start mining your shoe? <laughs> Please, Miss Brooks. No, you've got to help me. You see, the counter is school property and can't be removed from the building without Mr. Conklin's permission. But if a teacher were to ask oh, him... Oh, not me, Walter. I'd like to assist you in this project, but now is the wrong time. Tuesday, I knocked a bowl of soup into his lap in the cafeteria... And last week, I dropped a typewriter on his foot. Oh. Say, it's almost 8.15. I better park this orchid in the icebox and get ready to leave. Have a glass of milk, Walter. I'll just be a minute. Okay, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's you, Connie. The tea is almost ready. I'm afraid I won't have time for the reading, Mrs. Davis. I just want to put this in the icebox. My, what a lovely stalk of asparagus. <laughs> Don't let Walter Denton hear you say that. This happens to be a black orchid. Oh, but you shouldn't put that in the icebox, Connie. It won't do anybody any good there. Why don't you take it down to school with you and give it to Mr. Conklin? Mr. Conklin? Yes. You told me yourself you've been naughty lately. Maybe this little gift would make up for your recent habit of <laughs> dropping things on him. Say, it might at that. Although I wouldn't want Walter to find out that I gave away his present. Walter wouldn't mind. Besides, he won't know anything about it. I'll just put the flower into this box that the clean laundry came in, tie it with this red ribbon, and presto, you've got a peace offering for your principal. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I'm sure nothing could make him happier unless I was tied up in the box. <laughs> Miss Brooks, and we should reconsider my proposition about that Geiger counter. If you'll just get us permission to use it, I'll make you a 50-50 partner in whatever we find. It's a more than liberal offer, Walter, but I'm afraid I can't take advantage of it. Right now, I'm trying to figure a good method of stowing away to South America. Well, all right, Miss Brooks, but I hate the thought of passing up a possible bonus of $10,000 offered for discoveries of uranium. I know, Walter, and I can't say that it's altogether impossible, but as far as the immediate future is concerned, did you say $10,000? That's right. And if it's a big field, we might even get ten times that much. Open the throttle, Casey, and point me at Mr. Conklin's office. <laughs> Finish straightening up your office, Daddy. Thanks, Harriet. Run along, child. Isn't there anything else I can do? You can leave me alone. I'll get to your first class. Daddy, you're irritated this morning. Harriet, you're another Ellery Queen. <laughs> it so happens that some vandal broke into my garden, trampled my flower beds, and stole a rare black orchid. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just found out about it myself. I've been nursing that plant along for seven years. I was planning to give that orchid to your dear mother. It's her birthday today, you know. Yes, I know. Now I'll probably have to buy a present for the old... It's a hard gift. <laughs> if I ever get my hands on the scoundrel who... Enter. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Oh, it's you. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. I was just leaving the office, Miss Brooks. 
Try and cheer Daddy up a bit, will you? He's rather low this morning. I'll see you at lunch, Daddy. Bye. Bye. Well, Mr. Conklin, isn't this a bright and cheerful morning? Be brief, Miss Brooks. <laughs> what brings you to my office? I just came in to leave this little gift. Gift? Yes, sir. May I put it on your desk? If you think you can do so without knocking the typewriter off on my foot again. <laughs> what else? Mr. Conklin, I should like your permission to borrow the Geiger counter from the chem lab. Geiger counter? I believe that's what it's called. It's used to indicate the presence of uranium. Miss Brooks, are you planning to pelt me with an A-bomb? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not, Mr. Conklin. I couldn't even lift an A-bomb. <laughs> but I've heard that there's quite a reward for discovering new uranium deposits, and I thought... I kindly I... leave the premises. But, Mr. Conklin, I, I... I am in no mood to discuss this nonsensical project at this moment. I've had a most difficult morning. Nay, a shocking morning. What happened, Mr. Conklin? I don't know how versed you are in things botanical, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm pretty versed. <laughs> <laughs> Several years ago, I purchased a rare plant. For the first few years, it failed to bloom. I tried everything. Finally, I ceased to rely on the hit-or-miss methods of plant propagation employed by a bunch of buzzing bees, and I pollinated that plant personally. <laughs> Do you realize what that entailed? Of course. You had to smear your feet with honey and jump from petal to petal. <laughs> No, Miss Brooks. But there are other back-breaking procedures which I pursued faithfully for seven long years. Until finally my efforts bore fruit. You became the father of a lemon tree. <laughs> Wrong again. An orchid plant. A black orchid plant. Just yesterday, it started to bloom. And I said to myself, you're a lucky man, Osgood. Tomorrow, this lovely flower will blossom just in time for your wife Martha's birthday. And then do you know what happened this morning? Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> Some vandal stole it. Well, I guess I'd better be running along. <laughs> Miss Brooks, where are you taking that box? I thought you said it was a gift. Oh, it is a gift, Mr. Conklin. But not for you. That is not actually. It's for Mrs. Conklin. Her birthday, you know. Just a little remembrance. Well, you can leave it here. I'll take it to her after school. I'd like to see what it is before I... Oh, no, I, uh, I'd rather you didn't see it, Mr. Conklin. That is, well, it's uh, underwear. <laughs> That's all right. We share a dresser, you know. Put it down and get to your classroom. But, Mr. Dismissed! <laughs> oh, uh, one thing before you go. If you should happen to hear any of the students, or faculty for that matter, discussing a black orchid, would you please make a confidential note of the party's name? Confidential? I won't even read it to myself. <laughs> My morning classes passed without any undue noise from the principal's office, so I assumed that Mr. Conklin hadn't found time to open the box containing his own black orchid, so thoughtfully provided for me by Walter Denton. 
When lunch period arrived, I hurried to the biology laboratory to let Mr. Boynton in on the ground floor of my predicament. Busy, Mr. Boynton? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. Come on in. Uh, before we go to lunch, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's really silly, I guess, but I was rather embarrassed this morning. Embarrassed? It all started when Walter Denton came to pick me up and told me some ridiculous story about finding uranium on his shoes. Oh, that isn't completely ridiculous, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, it was more or less confirmed in the chem lab by the reaction of the Geiger counter. You mean that Walter did actually step into uranium? Well, not necessarily. It could be some similar radioactive substance. You realize, of course, that the Geiger counter is an extremely sensitive instrument. It'll even pick up emanations from your radium dial wristwatch. All the way from Fisher's pawn shop? (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful invention. And while Walter's shoe may not necessarily indicate the presence of any large field nearby, it's still a rather provocative incident. I'll say it is. Half of $10,000 is very provocative. If one were to discover some uranium, one would never miss the money it cost for a summer vacation, would one? Well, I should think not. I'm going to South America myself. South America? (laughs) That's funny. I'm going to spend my vacation down there. You too? (laughs) What a coincidence. When are you leaving? The day school ends, June 23rd. You too? (laughs) What boat are you taking? The SS Brazil. You too? (laughs) What cabin will you be? Oh, no, I... (laughs) I, I just meant that... If we're going to be in Brazil at the same time, it ought to make it very pleasant for both of us. They say the nights down there are very conducive to romance. Yes, I've heard something to that effect. In fact, on most June nights in Brazil, the stars seem to be so low in the sky that you can reach out and touch each other. Please, Miss Brooks, I... (laughs) I, uh... I don't like to change the subject, but... Not much you don't. (laughs) That's all right, Mr. Boynton. Brazil can wait. What is it you wanted to say? Well, I'd like to show you just how the Geiger counter reacts. Mr. Keller has a tiny sample of uranium in the chem lab. It's usually under lock and key, though, and... Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Walter. I just dropped by to take another look at the Geiger counter. Uh, Did you tell Mr. Boynton about the swell black orchid I gave you, Miss Brooks? I was just about to. Walter gave me a fine black orchid this morning, Mr. Boynton. A black orchid? Say, they're mighty rare. Must have been cultivated for about seven years. Most likely in a hothouse. This one is hotter than that. (laughs) Walter, I don't usually give away presents, but I think you ought to know that in trying to get on Mr. Conklin's good side, I gave him the black orchid. You gave Mr. Conklin the... I better get a glass of milk. I don't feel so good. (laughs) Just a minute, young man. Why did you steal that flower from Mr. Conklin's garden? It wasn't really stealing. I was only getting even. Every time Mr. Conklin passes our house, he strolls through the gate and gloms a rose for himself. Well, rose glomming isn't orchid glomming. Besides, why did you have to make me the fence? The fence? Receiver of stolen goods. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Chaucer lately. <laughs> I'm sorry about the whole thing, Miss Brooks. But tell me, what did Mr. Conklin say when he saw his own orchid? Luckily for both of us, he hasn't opened the box yet. Well, then maybe if someone could get into his office... You too? 
<laughs> That's just what I was thinking. You too. <laughs> I just saw Harriet in the hall. Of course, she doesn't know about what I did, but she told me your dad went shopping. Then maybe we can remove the plant before he comes back. Exactly. And I've got a scheme that'll make it impossible for old Marblehead, uh, Mr. Conklin, <laughs> to incriminate any of us. Are you with me? What's the layout, Louie? <laughs> well, I snipped the orchid off at the bottom. It's still got a long stem, see? Now, as soon as it gets dark, we can sneak back into his garden, stick the stem in the ground, and when he sees it tomorrow, he'll think something was wrong with his eyes this morning. And then when he snips it off, he won't know it has no roots. Walter, you're a genius. But Mr. Conklin's bound to find out it has no roots when another orchid fails to grow. Maybe so, but in seven years, we can cook up a dilly of an alibi. <laughs> uh, I'll keep a watch here at the door, Miss Brooks. All right, Mr. Boynton. Now hurry, Walter. We've got to get that box off Mr. Conklin's desk before he gets back. Okay, Miss Brooks. There, I've got it. He's coming down the hall. We better get out of here. It's too late. He'll see us quick. Get rid of the box. What box? The one you're holding, Walter. Oh, here you are, Mr. Boynton. All right. Yeah, I don't want this. Here, here, Miss Brooks, here's a nice orchid for you. For me? How sweet of you, Miss. What am I saying? <laughs> here, you take this, Walter. I'm allergic. Keep it. <laughs> quick, quick, Miss Brooks. Toss it out the window. The window? Where is it? Oh, right here. Open, thank goodness. There you go. Hello, what's everybody doing in my... Miss Brooks, may I inquire what it was you just threw out of my window? Who, me? <laughs> that is your name, isn't it, Brooks? Or do you shot put under a nom de plume? Well, I do remember tossing something out, but it, it was just a little bug. A bug? Yes, sir. That's just what it was, Mr. Conklin. A bug. We all saw it, didn't we, Mr. Boynton? Oh, yes, yes, it was a bug, Mr. Conklin. In my office? What sort of a bug was it? A beetle. A bull weevil. A louse. <laughs> The three of them were building a nest. A nest? Well, a hutch or whatever it is they live in. Bull Weevil live in cotton bowls. You must get awfully tired of watching football games, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> tired of watching football games? I never heard anything. So What's going on? <laughs> What are you three doing in my office? Well, sir, we just came in to wish your wife a happy birthday. You came in to wish my wife a happy birthday? Yes, sir. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday oh, to her. Oh, quiet! Mr. Conklin, I might as well tell the truth. I wanted to give Mrs. Conklin her present myself. That's why we entered your office, but... Then when I heard you coming, I became nervous and tossed it out the window. Oh, well, that's easily remedied. We'll just reach out and pick it up. Now, but if there's nothing in it but underwear, Please, I... Please, not in front of Mr. Boynton. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that was a little fib, too, Mr. Conklin. It, it isn't underwear. It's something for the house. You see, I wanted you to be surprised, too. That's right. That's what Miss Brooks told us. Yes, sir. She wants you to be surprised, too. Oh, oh well, that's different. Something for the house, eh? Mrs. Conklin's been talking about new curtains for the dinette. Could this be curtain? It could be for us. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, please, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just hand it over, I'll be eternally in your debt. You are now. <laughs> but if it pleases you to surprise us, then take it. But whatever you do, don't come over too early. I'm not going to give Mrs. Conklin my gift until after dinner. Oh, that's perfect. You'll be good and busy inside. That is, goodbye now. The cafeteria's about to close, Daddy. Aren't you going to have lunch? I had to bite downtown, Harriet, when I bought your mother her birthday present. Oh, what did you get her, Daddy? A radium dial table model clock so she can see what time of night it is without waking me. I took it home before I returned to school. Fifteen dollars I paid for that clock. You'd better like it. I hope you hid it someplace where she won't find it in advance. You know how inquisitive Mother is about her presence. I'm well aware of your mother's little idiosyncrasy, Harriet. I hid it all right. I buried it in the little sunken toolbox out in our garden. This is one present nobody could find without a Geiger counter. <laughs> Get off that driveway, Walter. Here's the gate to the backyard. Now, show us about where you got the orchid, Walter, and I'll dig a little hole for it and put it back. All right, you are, Mr. Boynton. It's over this way. Bring the box. What's that box you're carrying, Walter? This? Oh, this is the Geiger counter. I figured if we get away with this flower deal, we can get away with borrowing the counter for one evening. Oh, great. Now I'm the co-owner of a hot Geiger counter. <laughs> I wonder how Tehachapi is in the summertime. I'm... Oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll be through with this job in a jiffy, and then we can do a little prospecting. Oh, uh, stop right here, Mr. Boynton. I think this is pretty close to where I got the flower. All right, Walter. Please, Mr. Boynton, there's nothing to get so excited about. <laughs> That wasn't me. No? It's a Geiger counter. This is where I must have stepped. Miss Brooks, we're rich. South America, take me away. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, dig some more. I'll put the counter over here now so I'll keep quiet. We don't want to disturb anybody. Uh, wait a minute. I've uncovered some sort of a toolbox. What's this package in it? Listen. It's ticking. <laughs> ticking. It must be a time bomb. A time bomb? But who would want to blow up Mr. Conklin? Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, if there's uranium around here, this bomb could have been planted by someone who didn't want any of us to get it. That's right. Or it could have been placed by some crackpot who wants to see our civilization survive. <laughs> Listen, it's ticking louder. Quick, give it to me. Here's a full watering can. This should stop it. There, it stopped. You've done it, Miss Brooks. Oh, you certainly have, Miss Brooks. I don't know what it is she's done, but I'll bet I'm against it. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, oh, this is one time you won't be mad at us. Miss Brooks just stopped the ticking. Oh, she certainly did, sir. She threw the whole box right into the watering can. You see, it isn't making a sound. Indeed, it isn't. <laughs> But then, after they're submerged in water for a while, very few $15 table model clocks are capable of making any sound! $15 table clock? Yes, Miss Brooks. Contained in this soggy, gift-wrapped box is my wife's birthday present. 
Well, is there any message you'd like to convey? All together, gang. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mrs. Conway. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, when we showed Mr. Conklin that his black orchid was still intact, and I promised to reimburse him for the ruined clock, he calmed down a bit and his complexion returned to its normal color, purple. (laughs) After he had dismissed us, I slunk back to my room and fell into a nice, peaceful stupor, slumber. (laughs) However, I awoke in the morning with a very disquieting thought. The fact remained that somewhere, somehow, Walter Denton had stepped in uranium. Mr. Keller, the chemistry teacher, had verified that. So when Walter arrived to pick me up, I hastened to reaffirm our partnership. We are still partners, aren't we, Walter? Oh, you bet, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin didn't see the Geiger counter at all. Good. Now, today, let's get a hold of a sample of uranium so we'll know what we're looking for. hmm? And first, you'll have to give me $5, Miss Brooks. $5? We're partners, aren't we? You put in five and I'll put in five. Mr. Keller just called to tell me that's what a sample costs. Why should we have to buy it? Couldn't we borrow it? Look, Miss Brooks, remember I told you how I got up on the table in school to fix the light bulb? Yes, but what has that got to do with the uranium sample in the chem lab? That's the uranium I stepped in. What? Sure. That's why we got to put in five dollars each to buy the school a new sample. Now I've got to go to South America, if only to send you a tsetse fly. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo, for soft, glamorous, caressable hair, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, Lester White, and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch, under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's My Favorite Husband, followed by yours truly, Johnny Duller. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.